Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from. Now, here is an inspiring message by Pastor Joshua Xiao. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our online service today. If you're in Malaysia, you know all of us are at home today because we are still in lockdown. Uh, but tell you what, you know, when we gather like this, there is a blessing. The Word of God says that when there is unity, God commands a blessing. And so today as we start, I want to just declare that you are blessed you are favored and you're deeply loved by God, especially here in the family of God in this church we call Skyline. And so welcome from wherever you're tuning in from. Today, we are going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, and I want to start off with a picture of the tallest building in the world. This is called the Burj Khalifa, an engineering marvel, you know, that stands at 2,717 feet tall. If you look at it, it's like a bolt of lightning stretching into the sky, absolutely dwarfing all the surrounding skyscrapers. Now, one thing you need to know about the Burj Khalifa is that it's designed to conquer the wind. What do I mean by that? You see, at high altitudes, the winds can jostle and swirl in complex and unpredictable patterns, potentially damaging the building or even toppling it over. However, because of its design, it actually breaks up, deflects the wind, so that even though the building itself may sway, you know, but it will not topple. It's much like that with us you know, that we may face opposing countercultural forces, you know, as we approach this subject we're on today, which is on the topic of what we say and what we do. How do we prevent ourselves from toppling over when facing issues in this area? As we come now to Matthew 5, verses 33 to 42, this message is entitled, Talking the Walk. And Jesus puts before us key principles that govern our speech and our actions. And so I've broken up uh, today's message into three parts. Uh, first of all, the wholeness of self, the setting aside of self, and the ultimate cost of self. And this whole thing is absolutely dynamite what God has to say to us through Jesus' words. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to start off with the wholeness of self. And I read to you an excerpt from verse 33, which says, You must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord. Jesus starts off by referring to one of the Ten Commandments, which is that you must not bear false witness to your neighbor. In other words, don't lie. Don't make false promises that you don't intend to keep. This is about the whole area of integrity, right? And the secret to integrity, Jesus says uh, in this passage, the gist of it is that our awareness of God's omnipresence, that He's everywhere at every time, and our intimacy with Him is the secret to integrity. Why? You see, the Pharisees of that day had this problem. They made loopholes so that they could make legit-sounding promises, oaths, vows, you know, righteous, bombastic-sounding, but, but, and people would believe them. Unfortunately, they never had any intention of keeping it. 
It's much like, you know, when we were uh, younger, I don't know about you, but I remember when we were small, if we wanted somebody to believe what we were saying, we would say extreme things like, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, or, you know, I pinky swear, or I swear on this or swear on that or whatever. But when we are caught breaking our promises, what is the ultimate get out of jail card? That's right. I had my fingers crossed, and so it doesn't count. It was exactly the same for the Pharisees. You see, Jesus calls them out on this. He says, don't you understand? It, it doesn't matter whether you swear by heaven or by earth or by, you know, Jerusalem or the head uh, or whatever the hairs on your head. It doesn't matter because, number one, God owns everything. God sees everything. God is everywhere. And so everything you say, there's no such thing as big lies and small lies. There is only lies and there is truth. No in between. Why is that? Because we are always speaking in the presence of God. It reminds me of a couple, you know, they were driving and uh, they were uh, pulled aside by a police officer, right? And it got the husband out of the, the car, license and registration, please. And, uh, you know, the officer said, do you realize, sir, that you were traveling way over the speed limit? You were going around 130 kilometers an hour. And the man said, no, no, that can't be right. I am the most law-abiding citizen there ever was. You know, I would never exceed the speed limit no matter what. And so the officer actually looks into the window and looks at his wife and says, ma'am, is this true? And she says, no, officer, he drives like a maniac, always speeding around. Every time in the car, he scares me half to death. And so, so the officer shakes his head. He starts to write out a, a ticket, right? And says, by the way, sir, I noticed that as you came out of the car, you weren't even having your seatbelt on. And the man says, well, with all due respect, uh, officer, I think you're mistaken. You see, buckle up is my motto. I value my life far too much not to put on my seatbelt. At which the officer again turns to the wife and says, ma'am, is this true? And she says, you must be joking, right? I've never seen him wear a seatbelt ever. I mean, if you look at the seat buckle, you probably find cobwebs on it. And so the officer begins to write out another ticket. The man was furious at this point. He says, woman, what are you doing to me? You know, keep your nose out of my business. The officer looked at the man, looked at the woman and said, ma'am, does he always talk to you like this? And she said, no, 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 officer, don't misunderstand. He doesn't talk like this all the time. He only talks like this when he's drunk. <laughs> you see, the point is we can't take God out of the equation. He's always present. Now, if you had to face this reality and you were a Pharisee who believed that you were saved by your good works, your good conduct, your self-righteousness, this reality, this truth is going to crush you. Why? Because you always feel like there's big brother watching you somewhere and he's out to condemn you, out to get you. But what if you believed in the gospel? What if you believe in radical grace of Jesus that saves you? Well, then it changes, doesn't it? For us as a people of God, we want to tell the truth because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that is why the secret of integrity is both our awareness of God's omnipresence and our intimacy with Him. See, yes, there is an accountability there 
because God is always present, but it's undergirded with love. And because of that, you know what? God is there. You can set Him before you. There is boldness in what you do. There is freedom in what you do. And there is joy. Why? Because there is assurance of God's presence. Completely changes. The secret of integrity is our awareness of God's omnipresence and our intimacy with Him. Now, those of you who like math, you know that an integer represents a whole number. What's, what's the opposite of an integer? Well, fractions, right? Uh, you know, one of two, one of three, and all that kind of thing. Well, integrity comes from the word integer. Why does Jesus talk about this whole area of, of, of oaths and breaking of promises? He's really homing in on lying as an example. Lying fractures our integrity. This is the threat to integrity because when you lie, when you break your promises, it breaks trust. It damages relationships. It erodes identity. And our society knows this. We have lawyers that draft out long multi-page agreements and contracts. We have to sign it so that it's binding. You know what? Our society tries to safeguard the truth and make sure that we follow through on what we say. When we go into a courtroom, we have to swear that we speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But it isn't enough, is it? We know that at a drop of a hat, people can say whatever they want in the Twitterverse. You know, one person says something, uh, you know, another person says something on Facebook. Fake news proliferates everywhere. We can't tell the difference. In fact, lying so permeates our society. It's so much of the fabric of the culture that we live in that research shows that we are lied to on the average of anywhere between 10 to 200 times a day. Now, if you think that number is ridiculous, let me give you a few examples, and it might tickle you. Some of these you've heard before. Some of these maybe you've even said before. Let me give you the first one. I'm on my way. (laughs) We've all heard this one, right? And uh, the truth of the matter is maybe, you know, I completely forgot, and uh, I'm just right now leaving the house, but I'm on my way. Or maybe this one. I would love to go, the politically correct answer, but I have something on when in reality, maybe you're just exhausted and you want some alone time. Or, or couples, um, uh, you know, we, we've got this. You never do anything for me when what we really mean is not as much as you like. And that's why you need to join the marriage course that we just talked about. Anyway, uh, let me just go on to the next one. Um, it will only take a minute of your time. I mean, really? And here's the last example. This might sting a little bit because I really want to press the issue. I'll be praying for you. Ouch. Jesus says a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. He's saying, essentially, don't have different levels of truthfulness in your life. He's really challenging us here. Do your actions line up with your words? Do we say or do things, for instance, online? You know, we rant and complain or whatever. Do we say things online that we wouldn't be saying face-to-face to a person in real life? I mean, do we try and say things to get out of situations that we don't want to be in or bend things to our advantage? Jesus challenges us here and He calls us to integrity. 
You see, it's not just about the, the truth of the words we say, right? Even though Jesus is talking about lying here as an example, he's really talking about the wholeness of our lives. He's putting under a microscope the motives and the integrity of our lives. He's not saying you can't take oaths, but he is saying as followers of Christ, we must live you know, we must live as though oaths are unnecessary. Why? Because we mean what we say. We mean what we say. And sometimes the best thing we, we can do is to have a, a reflective question and ask, are we being true to ourselves? Because integrity starts within who you are before God and yourself. And tell you what, if there are things in your life that you're ashamed of or embarrassed about, you know, uh, or, or breaks your relationship with God, then I would suggest that something needs to be done there. As followers of Christ, we're called to live in such a way that oaths are not necessary. God wants us to be a whole people without double standards or double living. Now, when I when I uh, started working, one of the things that I learned that was very important, um, very stressed to me at that time, was that you should never be late for an appointment with a client. In fact, you know what? At every time, you should be early. The client must never wait. Why? Because this is about the truth of your word, right? Honoring your word. And it's about building trust. I mean, if you can't show up for a meeting that you agreed upon, then how can I trust you with a job that I have or a problem that needs solving or a contract, you know, that, that needs to be bidded for? It's, it's a question of trust, the truth of our words. But over the years, I found that this principle doesn't just apply to my work. It applies to my relationships. It applies, uh, you know, to my ministry. And so, you know what? I don't do this perfectly, but I need to strive to honor my commitments, especially in the area of time, no matter the sphere. See, Jesus says it's not just about the truth of our words, but the wholeness of our life, our motives, our integrity. And so as Christians, you know what? We, we can't on one hand, you know, bless people in church and the moment we turn around, you know what? We're cursing people in road rage. We, we can't as Christians, you know what? Give to the Lord, you know, and, and, and the other hand, we go into our workplaces and it's like we swindle people of money in business and all the wholeness of self. Jesus calls us to integrity. That's the first thing. And the second thing, he talks about next is the setting aside of self. He goes on to say in verses 38, he says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Some of you may have heard this and, and it's like something out of a mafia movie, right? You touch my, my boy, you know, I smash your face, that kind of thing. And, and you know, for majority of people, I, I place myself in this category. You hear this, you may think it is about limiting revenge. Like this is as far as you can go in terms of pursuing justice for an offense done against you. Well, you would only be partially correct. What is the context here? The Old Testament law is talking about controlling anger, violence, and a desire for revenge. However, there's one important distinction. This law was not for the offended. 
This law was a guideline for a neutral third party, impartial, like a judge, to discern, you know, what punishment befit the person who committed the offense. It's not for the offended. Because you see, we as human beings, we love to take the law into our own hands and we do whatever we like. We are incapable of being impartial when it comes to retaliation, revenge, and seeking justice for ourselves. It's just like the story of, of this woman who was bitten by a mad dog and the doctor thought she was going to die of rabies. And so he told her, you know, you, you probably should just prepare for the worst, maybe write the last will and testament. And so she took a notepad and a pen and she began to write and write and write and write. The doctor said, wow, that's a very long will that you're writing. She snorted and said, what will? This is a list of the names of people that I'm going to bite. Revenge can get out of hand very, very quickly. And so two things, two very important things we need to note about what Jesus is saying here. Number one, the Old Testament law is not encouraging the personal settling of scores. In fact, it's the opposite. It's trying to prevent that and ensuring true justice is meted out by an impartial third party. We talked about that. But secondly, the Old Testament law is not about promoting, encouraging a national policy. You see, from the start of the series, we've, we, we've been looking at who Jesus is really talking to uh, uh, in this Sermon of the Mount, right? It's the disciples. It's us as followers of Jesus. And so it's not so much about a national policy to enforce. It's about a personal response. Jesus is holding up a mirror and questioning our attitudes, number one, towards ourselves and our attitude towards others. He questions us and says, are you motivated by self-centered desires or are you emulating the one that you follow, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for all, selfless in every way? Because if you are, then as people of God, we are expected to respond in grace. And that's why he gives us three examples of the grace response. The first has to do with personal injustice. Verses 39, he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. We hear this so many times, right? And we have a temptation to skim over it. But I want you to put on your imagination caps for a bit and imagine that you had to slap someone. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't imagine that. I don't want you to sin. Imagine that you were getting slapped, right? And if somebody slapped you tightly on the cheek, now, what is the only way that this person can slap with an equal or greater amount of force the other cheek? I mean, do you, do you like twist your hand or use, use? The only way is to backhand, right? It's to backhand. That, that's the only way. And, and so what's the significance of this here? According to Jewish rabbinical law, being backhanded is twice as insulting as being slapped with an open palm of the hand. And so Jesus is really talking here about an attack on our personal honor. Culturally here, we, we say losing face, right? But it's not just losing face in like, you know, those tiny, it's in the worst ways possible. The worst kind of insults that you could have, you know, the, the level of disowning somebody, that kind of, of, of attack on personal honor. To be stamped on, to have no personal honor. 
That's the one hand. But he goes on in verse 40 to talk about this. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, what is this about? Well, it's very similar to how in the times uh, today, uh, we can sue somebody for, for money, we can sue them for possessions. But here's the thing, in Jewish law, you can sue them for everything except for their coat. Why? Because most Jews only have one coat. They may have many shirts, but they only have one coat. It's probably an expensive one, it's an overcoat, and it's thick, and it shelters them from the elements. And so the whole idea is this. You know what? A man may lose everything in a court case, uh, legally being sued, he may lose everything. But if he has to go out into the streets, you know, the only thing that is going to keep him warm and give him shelter at night is that one coat that he has left. And so it's not just a mercy, it is a personal right that this person has. Jesus is talking here about an attack on our personal rights. So you take these two together, personal rights and attack on our personal honor. What is Jesus really trying to say? Is he saying that as Christians, you know what, we got to be doormats, let people step and stomp on us and let people bully us left, right and center? No. He's saying this, as disciples, we are to let go of the spirit of resentment and retaliation for the wrongs against us, however bad they may be even when it is within our rights. When I think about people who have been through such situation in uh, history, I think about William Wilberforce, who when he began his crusade to free the slaves in the British Empire, he faced huge opposition, not just in the parliament, but people outside attacked him personally, attacked his character, attacked this. They were saying things like, you know, horrible lies that he was a cruel husband, that he was a wife beater, you know, that his wife was black. All these kinds of things he had to endure. But he stood firm because he believed, he was convicted in his heart. This was a justice he had to stand up for. And he paid that price for the sake of the slaves of the British Empire. But Jesus went through much of that and even more. He was called a drunk, uh, he was called a glutton. He was called, uh, you know, a, a drunkard. He was called a friend of tax collectors or sinners. He died the most humiliating, shameful death on the cross. For whose sakes? For yours and mine. And so Jesus challenges us today. When our personal honor and our rights are being under attack, viciously even, will we let go of personal offense and the need for revenge. Personal injustice. Jesus then goes on to talk about personal demands required by the law. Verse 41, it says, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. And this is a whole area of the second mile, right? The listeners of that day would know instantly what Jesus was talking about. Why? Because they were under the rule, under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And in an occupied country, citizens can be compelled, forced to supply food, lodging, and baggage. You read the Bible, one good example is Simon of Cyrene. He was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus out of Jerusalem. The soldiers compelled Simon. And so that's a, a, a great example there. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is that not only are we supposed to do what is demanded of us by the law, but we to go above and beyond and see this as a privilege to serve. Now, I don't know how, how they took it in those days. I imagine it would have been a tough pill to swallow, right? Not only are you being occupied, you're under a, a, an empire's rule, you're forced to do things that possibly you don't want to do at the cost of yourself. You want us to go above and beyond and consider it a privilege to serve? It's not too difficult for us to relate to, isn't it? Because all of us are under governments. All of us are under the rule of higher authorities. And most of the time, that's fine. And we were absolutely okay with it, except when demands are made of us by law, isn't it? I mean, let me give you uh, 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 something that probably all of us can relate to. And, and, and uh, it's the whole area of taxes. I mean, how many of you love taxes? For those of you who just started working, you're like, thank God I don't have to pay any taxes yet. For those of you who are working, you know, at the end of every accounting year, you just like pray to God, look, I hope that not only I don't need to pay, but, you know, I get back some from the government. That feels really good. But what if you need to pay extra on top of that? Oh, that's, 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 that's a big problem, isn't it? I actually went through this. Um, uh, you know, uh, one of the years, I was, they, 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 they asked me to submit, um, you know, all the documents. It was checked, and they found that I actually miscalculated. And it wasn't done on purpose. I misunderstood one of the stipulations there and the exemptions. And as a result, I was required by law to pay a significant amount more to contribute more than I had already paid and this was was sometime later totally unexpected and so you can imagine all right uh, uh, you know how that would feel for me I'm like oh no I mean it's not my fault you know this is so unfair but the real test the real struggle for me is realizing that this same mistake this miscalculation were in two other years now do I keep quiet about those two years because they never asked me? Or do I go beyond and do it off of my own volition? Jesus says, when somebody asks, when the soldier asks you to carry one mile, do it two miles. Not only that, consider it a privilege to serve. Now, real talk here, okay? Hashtag real talk. I, I did it. I, I, I submitted the corrections for those years, but I am a long way from considering it a privilege, uh, you know, to serve in that way. I don't know about you, but Jesus challenges us here, you see. He says, this is the grace response for those in authority over you, demands that are made upon you, go above and beyond and consider it a privilege. What is the response and attitude of our hearts towards ourselves, towards others? personal injustice, personal demands to us by the law, and he goes on to close with personal possessions. Verse 42, it says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. In the Jewish law, you know, giving can be an absolutely beautiful thing. This is based on Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 10. We'll read some excerpts from it. Um, you know, it says that if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. 
And then it goes on to say this, do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for cancelling debts is close at hand. This final verse is extremely important to understand what Jesus is telling us as disciples. You see, God ordained that every seventh year in their agricultural cycle of sowing and harvesting, that they were to release debtors from their debts. Whatever you owed anyone within uh, the, the Israelite community, it's cancelled. Zero rise. Your accounts are completely clear. You don't owe anyone anything. How many of you would like banks nowadays who are to go by this principle? Hallelujah. I would love that. You know, every seven years, absolutely clear. Now, here is the, the important thing. The verse is saying, if you refuse to lend money even though you have the ability, you refuse to lend money to somebody, a brother or sister in need. Why? Because you see that in three months or six months, you know what? Jubilee year, the seventh year is coming around and debts are all cleared and you are afraid you will never see that money return to you and you refuse to help. You are doing something evil in God's sight. This is a sin, God says to refuse to lend money to someone because of that fear. And so Jesus' point here is really that we as his disciples, we must have open hands and an open heart. We must think and say to ourselves that, you know what, if this person is in need, I will help, even if there is a risk to me involved. In 1903, um, the explorer Ernest Shackleton led an expedition to the Antarctic and in his diary he writes of a time when their food supplies were exhausted and they were down to their last ration. It was like a hard biscuit. Now, some of the men decided to take it then and there. You know, they bought some tea and, and they had the last uh, meal, as it were. They didn't know where the last, when they would next eat. Well, another group of the men, they saved that hard biscuit for times when they felt maybe, you know, we were desperately hungry and we need that last version. They saved it. Now that night when everybody went to sleep, Ernest was just about to fall asleep when he saw one of his most trusted men, uh, you know, sit up, look around to see if anybody was watching. And to his dismay, he saw this man reach towards uh, the food sack of the one next to him. And he thought, oh no, something terrible is going to happen. You know, this is what happens uh, in desperate times. People do desperate things. But something in him just, just, just told him to wait. And so this man, he opened the food sack of, of this person next to him. And what he did was he took his last ration and he put it in this man's food sack. Give with an open heart and open hands. 1 John 3, 17, 18, it says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Church, the, the love of God is a love that gives of itself in order to strengthen those who are in need. And when we, His disciples, His people, when we give like this, we reflect God's love in us. 
we reflect His love in us. And so the setting aside of self is really God's call and His charge to us to take up our cross and to follow Him, Matthew 16, 24, to set aside, you know, our self-centered ways and our selfish desires and respond in grace to personal injustice, you know, what to demands made of us by the law with regards to our possession and follow His example. Jesus, when He walked on this earth, He said, I follow the will of the Father and He did this to the very end, saying, not my will, God, but yours be done. The wholeness of self, the setting aside of self, and finally, the ultimate cost of self. As you hear these words by Jesus, and you're in the same boat as me, you realize how far we fall from this standard that God has, when Jesus has set for us. We, we try, yes, but we fail far too often to our liking. Why do we struggle so much in these areas in terms of what we do and what we say? Well, I think it is because of this one reason, because there is a cost to pay. In verse 33, it's very interesting when, when Jesus says, carry out your vows. That phrase, carry out, in some translation is fulfill. In the Greek translation, it actually can be translated as give back or pay in return. We can, we can almost say carry out your vows is, is, is like paying your promises. There is a cost to the truth, right? I mean, why do we lie? We lie to gain the approval of others. We, we, we want to, to, to seem better off than we actually are in reality. We like to control things and bend things to our advantage. There is a cost there that sometimes we're not willing to pay. And what about the cost of dying to ourselves? It can mean, you know, sacrificing personal comfort, swallowing our pride, you know, not seeking revenge, releasing the spirit of, uh, uh, hold on the spirit of retaliation when we receive the worst kind of insults, when our, when our rights are being stamped on. And these requirements are all set upon us. There is a price to pay. And the question is, are we willing to pay that price? Oftentimes the answer is no. But here's the truth of the matter, that even if we were to say yes, we are willing to pay the price. In and of our own effort, we are completely incapable. It's totally beyond us. But Jesus could, and he did. Jesus paid for every untruth you ever told, every broken promises that we've made, every hidden secret that we've kept in our lives, even from those closest and dearest to us because of the shame that we bear. God saw into our brokenness and ugliness and He loved us all the same. The Heavenly Father sent His only Son for us and He paid that price so that we could be whole, so that we can experience freedom in Him. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus paid that price for our selfish and self-centered desires. He became poor so that we might be rich. He took our shame on the cross and gave us a place of honor as children of God. He died so that we could have eternal life. And because of that, we now live for Him 
and Him alone. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 15, it says, Christ's love compels us. See, that's that word again, compelled, but it's not out of force or anything negative, but because of that love that we've received, that grace beyond measure that causes us to respond towards Christ. We set aside our old self and embrace that new life. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. Now, if Jesus paid that ultimate price, then you and I, we can pay that cost in pursuit of wholeness of self and setting aside of self. I know today I'm speaking to people who may have been hurt very deeply and offended in the worst possible ways. You may have compromised on integrity out of necessity, but today Jesus invites us to be whole, to experience the freedom that He has paid for us so that we can live for Him alone. And I tell you what, when we live like that, by the power of His Holy Spirit, we will be like that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We will be like that light that shines in the darkness, giving glory to our Father in heaven. Let's bow our heads right now and just close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Let's come to that place of response to Him right now. Jesus is calling us. Oh, how we need You, Jesus. How we need You, oh Lord. We need Your grace. We need Your mercy. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer right now for all of us as we come back to the cross, come back to that grace that fills us, changes us, transforms us. Now, wherever you are, just, just in this sacredness of this moment between you and Jesus, I'd like you to open your heart to respond to Him. Lord Jesus, we come to you in repentance because too often, too often we've given in to our self-centered ways and, and, and we've put ourselves on the throne of our lives instead of you. We've allowed the integrity of our lives to be fractured and it's affected our relationship with you. Forgive us, Father, as we recommit our lives to you today in this moment. We pray, God, that you would increase so that Christ would increase in us. More of you less of us God by your Holy Spirit we pray that you would empower us by your grace to be a people of integrity as ambassadors for your kingdom our prayer oh God today is that truly we would be salt and light that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven in Jesus name we pray amen amen well, many years ago, I made a decision as a young boy to follow Jesus. And I tell you what, you know, all these years by, I can still say that it is the best decision that I've ever made in my life. Jesus has been a, a constant presence. You know, He's been a, a closest friend. He's been my Lord and Savior. He's been a guiding light. And because of Him, you know what? I can live life boldly 
despite everything that I've done, my flaws and my failures. This is Jesus to me. And you know what? Today as we close, if you have never done the same and today you hear Jesus calling you, you want to invite Him into your heart, make that same choice. Then in a short while, I'm going to lead in a simple prayer. If you want to make that choice today, I urge you, take that step of faith and together with this family here, with this family of God, let's make that journey of transformation and change together. With Jesus in us, within us, guiding us, leading us by His Holy Spirit. So right now, there's going to be a prayer that is shown on the screen. As I pray this, you follow along with me and you mean this in your heart. All right? Here we go. Dear Jesus, today I want to make the decision to follow you. And I believe that you paid the price for my sins on the cross. Cover me with your grace and wash me clean. Fill me with your love and do the work of transformation in me. You are my Lord and my Savior from today onwards. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Today, if you made that prayer, heaven rejoices with you. His family rejoices with you. Hey, we've got something for you in a moment. Please stay. Uh, David's going to come back and uh, uh, tell you all about it. But uh, you know what? For all of you listening here today, I pray that you have been blessed, that you continue to stay safe, that you know, hope will rise in your hearts, faith will rise, and that you will have a great week ahead. We'll see you again very, very soon. Thanks for listening. This is the Skyline SIB podcast. And stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.